Well, good morning, everybody. How many's ready to study God's word? And um, yeah, we apologize for the sound issues. If you're online, uh, they uh, replaced some power poles by the church yesterday, and um, so as a result, all our power went out. And then trying to reset it, so we're on backup system. How many know backup systems are good? And you know, so you should back up your computer, back up your phone, back up your life. You know. <laughs> So uh, that's what we're going to do today is we're going to help you back up your life for good. So, all right, let's turn to Exodus chapter three this morning and um, get ready to study God's word. And we've been talking about uh, a guy named Moses, uh, you know, a small figure in the Bible, uh, <laughs> you know, had an important role. And uh, this is uh, week number four. And by the way, I want to just say something. Uh, Pastor Caesar, stand up. Uh, they are going out in the hot of day right now for the homeless ministry, so they need water. So if any of you could just bring water by, and we'll get it to him on Thursday at 8 a.m. is when they go. So uh, they need water, lots of water. So if you could just bring water for them, it'd be good. All right, so uh, we're in um, Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus 3, but... Week one, we were in Exodus 1, and we started this journey, and we talked about what Egypt was like 3,500 years ago. Can you imagine? And um, we had a guy named Pharaoh who didn't like the Jews, so he put them into slavery, and he didn't, that didn't work so well. So he started genocide with the uh, midwives and tried to get them to kill the, um, the Hebrew babies. That didn't work, so they started state-sponsored murder where they would throw the, the Jewish boys into the, um, the River Nile. And, um, but I really like that part of the story about the midwives. It says this about them. Uh, you know, they said, I would rather obey God than man. And I love that about them. And, uh, and then there's a little phrase in there that I just think that is so important. It says that God gave them families. When you obey God, God brings you people around you that become family. And then we got into week number two, okay? And um, we said that God has a plan for everyone and he wove it all together. And, and it still amazes me. We talked about every detail was under God's control. Uh, the king's edict, the baby's beauty, the mother's plan to place the ark in the river, uh, the baby's cry. You know, we had the daughter's compassion, the sister's wise suggestion to get a Hebrew uh, mom to nurse the baby. And the agreement between two moms that, you know, that she would take care of Moses, uh, his mom, and then eventually, you know, the Egyptian mom did that. And it was all woven together. Nothing was by chance. Aren't you glad? And when you look back over your life, sometimes we get a little frustrated. But, you know, when you really look at it, isn't it interesting that God has woven all the details together? And, um, and then in week number three, uh, we were in um, the, um, you know, Exodus uh, chapter, um, we, I think we were in Exodus chapter 3. And it says that um, lessons, we, we talked about lessons that they learned in the wilderness. And that's when Moses went out into the wilderness. And it was, don't get ahead of God, okay? Um, serve where God puts you. And we said that you need to trust in God's plan. And I really liked all of those. So today we're going to call this High Noon at the Burning Bush. Okay? 
And uh, I, I think this is really apropos because, uh, and I think as we start this, you know, um, we all want to be used by God. I, I think a lot of people don't want to be used, but at least I, I think most people do. And most of the Christians I have ever met, they want to. We want our lives to count for Christ. How many would like your life just to count for Christ? And, um, and you think that God can't use you. You think that you're not good enough. And I don't know if any of you have ever felt that way, but we all feel that way sometimes. It's like, oh, how can God use me? I'm not good enough, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I want you to think again today. And let me just give you some examples. I want you to look at some of the people in, that God used in the Bible, okay? Uh, Moses stuttered. Uh, Timothy felt inadequate. John Mark was rejected by Paul. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. That's an interesting one. Jacob was a cheat. David had an affair and uh, had a man murdered to cover it up. Solomon wasn't so smart after all. Abraham lied about his wife twice, okay? Uh, Isaac lied about his wife. David was too young. Peter denied Christ three times. Uh, Jonah ran from God. Sarah laughed at God. Lot was totally messed up. He went to celebrate recovery, uh, but it didn't work for him. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. Uh, Peter walked on water, then he sank. Okay. Uh, Elijah struggled with depression. Esau sold his birthright. Some of the apostles uh, doubted the resurrection. Uh, Reuben slept with his father's concubine. Father uh, Peter compromised the gospel. John the Baptist, uh, he acted strange, you know, and what he wore, his clothing was a real mess there. Uh, Martha complained about her sister. Uh, Samson slept with a prostitute. Noah got drunk. You know, it's like, you think you're messed up. You know, when you look at the people in the Bible, I think they were pretty messed up. And the list goes on and on. Someone asked a pastor on a radio program why so many Bible characters had serious flaw, and his answer was simple. He said, that's all God has to work with because all the perfect people are in heaven. <laughs> Isn't it true? <laughs> and, uh, you know, the talent pool for using God using people is kind of thin because all the perfect people are in heaven. But until then, he chooses the imperfect people so he can display his power and through human weakness. And you think that God can't use you. I want you to think again because all God asks is that you just make yourself available to him. That's all God asks. And so that brings us to Exodus 3. And we're going to do the story of the burning bush. And we'll go down to verse number 1. And I, I want you to notice today that this is going to take place on the backside of the desert. Uh, not far from Mount Sinai. And here's what we need to know as a background. Moses is now 80 years old, okay? And um, we can divide his life into two segments of 40 years each. There's 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the desert. 40 years of fame, 40 years of obs obscurity. 40 years of luxury and 40 years of austerity. And let me just put it another way. Moses is now... 80 years old. Okay, and God's just about ready to use this guy. I mean, that just blows my mind. He's well past retirement age. Okay? You know, he's well past his prime. 
Uh, and at least when most men, you know, compared to most men, he's reached his age when a lot of guys, you know, cash out their 401k, they get an RV or whatever it is they do and get a gold chain around their neck or whatever it might be. Uh, you know, when you're 80, you're kind of reaching the home stretch, folks. You know, think about that. And to be honest, a lot of guys don't even make it to 80. <laughs> you know, you think, and this is so encouraging right now. You know, a lot of things happen between 70 and 80. There's cancer, there's heart attack, COVID, a fall, an accident. You lie down for a nap and some of you never wake up. You know, isn't this encouraging? You know, <laughs> this is so encouraging. Uh, stuff happens. Everybody say stuff happens. Okay. And as the f famous theologian, the basketball star Charles Barkley once said, he said, Father, time is undefeated. And it's really true. And um, yet, here we have Moses at the age of 80, and he's about ready to get his marching orders for God. He's going to live another 40 years, let me tell you, church. And almost everything we remember about him happened in the next 40 years of his life. That is mind-boggling. When most men are slowing down, Moses is moving into overdrive. You know, and what happened at that burning bush 3,500 years ago absolutely changed world history. And so we're going to talk about it today. And I, I just want you to see it started with just an ordinary day. That's all I want you to see. It just started with just an ordinary day. Yeah, he's going along doing his thing. Look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. And there's a lot of significance there. Now, even today, we're not sure exactly where Midian is, but we're, we know it's in the Sinai Peninsula. And um, it might have extended into the northwestern part of Saudi Arabia. And when you think about Midian, you know, we're talking about one of the most barren places that you can absolutely imagine. I mean, I think of Zizek, you know, on the way to, to Las Vegas. It's like, who would live here at Zizek Road? You know, I, I guess there's actually something that there's a school there or something like that. But uh, Midian was like on the backside of the moon. It was a dangerous place to live, especially if you were unprepared for the heat because it got up to about 120 130 in the shade, um, you know, and it was, you know, a really hot place. Uh, there were predators. There was lack of water. And so that is where uh, Moses spent the next 40 years of his life. And everything uh, this story hangs on this one fact is that Moses meets God on a very ordinary day. A very ordinary day. Now, let's just talk about it. It's um, because it's not like he got up this morning and say, oh, my life is about ready to change. God's going to talk to me and I'm going to become this leader, you know, and lead the people out of, uh, you know, Egypt and all that kind of stuff. Because most of us don't have that type of revelation in the morning. You know, we don't wake up and say, oh, God is going to talk to me today. And it's like, oh, it's going to be wonderful. And, you know, I mean, I would like that if I got, I got up in the morning and God just wrote on the wall every day, this is my will. How many would just say, okay, I'll just, you know, just help me out, God. You know, just show me your will. But it's not like he got up in the morning and said, my life is about ready to change. At the age of 80, I want to just tell you that 
he had every reason to believe that his life would never, ever change again. And I want you to think about that. And it's just one more day with the sheep and the goats in the desert, but his life was about to take this sudden change of direction. And so here's Moses doing his job. You know, he's out there with in this remote place. He's doing what he's done every day for the last 40 years. And he doesn't have an inkling that God is about ready to intervene in his life. And while Moses takes care of the family business, God is about ready to change the trajectory of his life. And this this leads me to a real crucial, uh, I believe, insight is this, is that 99% of life is ordinary. 99% of life is ordinary. It It just happens. You know, I I would say, you know, people say, well, I hope it comes when my ship's in. But, you know, the problem is that some of you are at the airport when your ship came in. And so, (laughs) you know, I I want it to happen, too. You know, but most of life is ordinary. It's the same stuff day in, day out. You get up in the morning, you take a shower, you put your clothes on, you eat some breakfast. You go to work, you come back, you fight the, the traffic and the pain in the past and you know, and all that kind of stuff, and you, you know, you you sit down, you read your paper, you watch a little TV, maybe play with the kids, you know, you eat uh, dinner, you flop into bed, dead tired, and then you do it again the next day. Isn't that the way it is? It's like, okay, we're going to do it again the de- next day, and that's the way it is. And it's the same thing day after day. And And here's a question for you, because what is the first step in discovering God's will? I want you to see this. You begin by doing what you already know to be God's will in your situation. You just do what you already know. And you don't need to worry about tomorrow. How many know tomorrow will take care of itself? And and, um, Elizabeth Elliot, you know, she once said this, do the next thing. There's always the next thing to be done. Just do what you're supposed to do. And often people say, well, God, show me what your will is. You know, what do you want me to do for my life? And Lord, give, you know, I think what people want is they want that mountaintop experience. That's the blessing of going to camp. They have that mountaintop experience. And we come back, the kids come back from camp, and it's like, you want that feeling that you had at the camp every day. And how many know, I don't have that feeling every day. You know, some days are very ordinary. It's not there's no emotion. There's no excitement. It's just like, just do what you're supposed to do. And many people wish those spectacular moments would happen every day. And often when we say, God, show me your will, what we really mean is, Lord, you know, uh, give me some feeling, some insight, you know, some spiritual revelation. God says, I've already shown you my will. Just do it. Just do what I've already showed you. And, uh, you know, you say, well, what's God's will for our students? Do your homework. That's God's will. What's God's will for a doctor? Get up and do your rounds and make sure they get better. You know, what's God's will for a pharmacist? Fill those prescriptions right. Yeah. (laughs) You know, how about this one? What's God's will for a banker? Take care of my money and don't lose it. Right? What's God's will for an accountant? Take care of the books and do it right. Uh, Marlo just amazes me. She cannot stand that the books are off by three cents. 
I mean, I don't see her for two weeks when it's off by three cents. It's like she's trying to she's trying to get it right, and it's like she goes, "I've got to get it right. I've got to get it right." I just oh, I just write it off. It's only three cents. But that's God's will for her life. What's God's will for a teacher? Make your lesson and plan to come to class and teach it. You know, what's God's will for a salesman? Know your product, make your context, and make the sale. You know, what's God's will for a young mother? And you want to know what God's will is? You got It has something to do with dirty diapers. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's more than dirty diapers, but not less than that. You know, what's God's will for a secretary? It is typing. It is more than that, but not less than that. But I'm going to tell you, God's will for you is more than just showing up and doing your job. But it's not less than that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just do what God has already revealed for you to do. That's an amazing principle there. So what was God's will for Moses? Take care of the sheep. Find them some water and keep the wild animals away. Forty years, that's your job. So God call, God's call came to Moses during this ordinary day of just being obedient. And I think the same is going to be true of you. You just, just do it. You know, all of a sudden, we don't get up and say, oh, this could be the day that God changes my life. You know, that would be nice if you knew that. Or you just get up, you do what God has called you to do. And in the midst of doing what God has called you to do, God just shows up and says, this is my will for you. So, you know, people come to me and they say, can God speak to me today? And I, I, I say, don't worry about it. God can speak to you. God has your number on speed dial. Come on. And, and he can ring your phone, ring your life anytime, day or night. Come on. You think, well, this is going to be a, a, a night I'm just going to get all night sleep. How many know that God has a way sometimes in the middle of the night waking you up and getting your attention? So here's Moses on the, on the backside of the desert. He's been there 40 years of hot days and cold nights. We know what that's like. And, um, you know, there's 40 years of dust, dirt, wind, and sand. 40 years of sheep and goats in the wilderness. You know, 40 years of looking for that next oasis, and the story begins completely on an ordinary day. I want you to see that. But then there was this extraordinary bush. I want you to see that too. There's this extraordinary bush. Look at uh, verses 2 through 3. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush, and Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why is that uh, bush burning up? I must go see it. Now, we live in the desert. How many know that a bush in the desert is not a big deal? Okay. It's really not a big deal. We see it out here. It's not unusual. After all, it's hot and dry. Uh, the temperatures here in the high desert. I don't know what's the highest you've seen. I think I've seen it up here maybe 115 or so. You know, I mean, it, it gets hot up here. You know, I mean, it really does get hot and annoying. And, um, and you know, when you think about the fire, that's not unusual either because with that type of heat, fire happens. We see that in the high desert. I'm going to tell you what is strange, though. 
and it's downright incredible, if you saw what Moses saw, he saw this bush on fire, but it wasn't burning up. Now, if you saw a bush on fire, a tree on fire, a house on fire, and it wasn't burning up, you know, how many went on to get a little closer and say, hey, what's going on? And that's what Moses did. And, uh, and I, I just want to say this. God can make any bush burn at any time he pleases. You know, and he can make the bush burn without being consumed. If God wants to do that, God can. And um, in fact, any bush will do. And by this strange sign, God was saying to Moses, what I did with this bush, I can do with you. What a lesson for us. What I did with this bush, I can do for you. And uh, so here's the third thing. Because the first, we have the ordinary day. Secondly, we have this extraordinary bush. And then there is this personal call. And this is where it gets down to the crux of it. Because this is where all of us have to answer that call on whether we're going to follow God or not. It's important to take notes right now. If you haven't been, you need to be writing some things down because I'm going to give you some stuff you need to remember. Look at verse number four. And the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look. And God called him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am. And Moses replied, do not come any closer. The Lord warned. And watch what he says. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to have you take off your shoes today, and we're not going to stand together on holy ground. But just I just want you to get the principle here. And I always want you to pay attention in the Bible whenever a name is used twice. Moses, Moses. Jacob, Jacob. You know, Mary, Mary. And whenever it's repeated twice, it's a sign of intimacy. It means something important and very personal is about ready to be revealed. And when God calls his name, Moses responds by using the word. He says, here am I. And it's a Hebrew word. And, and, and I really want you to write this down because this Hebrew word is something I want you to carry with you this week. And I'm not going to write it in Hebrew, but I'm going to give it to you in English. And it is this. Hineni. Okay? Hineni. Let's get it right. Okay? Hineni. Okay? Let's get it right. Hineni. Everybody say it together. Hineni. I want you to get that in your head. Hineni. Okay? Because it means, here I am. I'm ready to serve. What do you want me to do? Hineni. Everybody say it with me. Hineni. Okay? And it's what a servant says to his master. It's what a little boy says to his father. It's what believers say to the Lord God. It says, here I am, Hineni. I, I, I'm ready to serve God. What do you want me to do? Abraham said it in Genesis 22.1. Jacob said it in uh, Genesis 31.11. Moses says it here, and Isaiah said it in Isaiah 6, verse 8. And, and we should give Moses credit for responding positively because he doesn't try to hide and he doesn't try to evade the question. And it's crucial because when God calls, we can always find an excuse. You know, not me, Lord. Ask somebody else. I'm busy. I'm happy the way I am right now. 
you know, I'm 80, I'm cruising, you know, I'm getting ready to go in retirement mode and, 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 you know, Lord, you know, get somebody else. But when God calls, we need to pay attention. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you've been with the Lord, but when God calls, we need to give and pay attention to his call in our life. And we need not to push it away. And he, God says to him, this is holy ground, Moses. Don't take it for granted. Show some respect because you're standing in holy ground right now. I want you to remember that Moses was in the backside of the desert a long way from civilization. Yet God met him there. Some of you think, well, God doesn't know where I live. God doesn't know what I'm doing. But I'm going to tell you, God can meet you in the most unusual places of your life. If you just say, God, whatever you want to do, God can meet you right there. He didn't choose to be there. How many know some of us don't choose to be where we are? You know, you thought, oh, I, my life would be happy right now. My life. He had no idea that he was facing uh, Pharaoh. Uh, he had no idea about the ten plagues that he was going to deal with. He had no idea about crossing the Red Sea. No idea about the Ten Commandments. No idea about the 40 years, you know, uh, in the desert that uh, he would be leading his people. He didn't know because he didn't need to know. And a lot of people, they want to know everything about God's will. And we have a hard time with that notion because we all want to know the future. You know, before we say yes, we want to make sure it's going to be okay. You know, will we be happy if we marry this person? Will we not have any problems? Will, you know, if I take this job, will it be the right job? And we're all wondering about that stuff. And, and so I want to just, we want to guarantee that everything's going to be okay. So I want to just pose a little scenario for you. Imagine God offered you a chance to see the future. Suppose, suppose, he hands you a manila folder and says, in this manila folder is everything that's going to happen in your life over the next 10 years. All the highs, all the lows, all the good, all the bad, all the sad, all the victories. I don't know about you. Would you open it? I know I wouldn't. I would run as fast as I could the other direction because life usually just works one day best one day at a time. Isn't that the truth? And that's the point I'm trying to make here. Moses didn't know about the challenges ahead of him because he did not need to know. And the same is true with all of us. God asks when he calls, he says, we need to just say, Hineni, here I am, Lord. What do you want me to do? Hineni. Everybody say it with me. Hineni. Hineni. Just let him fill in the details. 
Now, there's one final thing in this passage that I think bears looking at, because after Moses gets, after getting Moses' attention, God gives him, and here's number four, I want you to see this, a divine revelation. And some of you are just saying, I, I want that divine revelation. Well, just know it starts with an ordinary day with an extraordinary, um, you know, extraordinary God, you know, extraordinary bush with a God that gives a very personal call, and now it's divine revelation. And look down in verse number 6, and I'm going to read down to verse number 10. I am the Lord, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, notice he covered his face. I want you to see that, because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord says, I, I, I have certainly seen the oppression of people in Egypt. I have heard this, the cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of uh, Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is the land that is flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites not live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead the people Israel out of Egypt. Now you've got to remember, the last time he left Egypt, he was being run out of Egypt because he killed that man. And somebody saw him, and his sins were being found out. Now, if you read from verses 6 down to 10, you notice that there's something that is said about Moses. There's nothing said about Moses until the last verse there. And in the end, the story is not about Moses. The story is about God. God in his redeeming, restoring, delivering power. He says, I want to bring, you know, deliverance to Israel. And, and, you know, it's kind of interesting. These four sentences have been a great help to me over the years. You know, and you might want to write this down. It's not about me. Okay? Everybody say that. It's not about me. Here's the second one. It's not about now. Thirdly, it's all about God. And number four, it's all about eternity. So you have... It's not about me. It's not about now. It's all about God. It's all about eternity. Go down with me to verse 11, and let me read down to verse 15. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I'll be with you, and this will be your sign, that, that I am the one who has sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you'll worship God at this very mountain. And Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? And God replied, I am who I am. Everybody say that with me. I am that I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. I mean, that is so powerful right there. And in this passage, God isn't telling Moses anything about Moses. You know, instead, God is saying, let me just tell you who I am. You know, first, you know, he says, 
this is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. He says, I am the personal I am. You know, the, the Egyptians had all sorts of gods that they worshipped, and but the God of the Bible is not like those heathen deities. He is the God who created all things. That God has come down to speak to Moses. He's the God that's going to deliver Egypt. He says, I am the eternal I am. You see that in verse number uh, 15 there. Notice the present tense. I am, was, and it, it was what he said. He, he didn't say, I was. You know, 1,500 years later, Jesus makes that same argument to the Sadducees during Holy Week. And he's the faithful God, the God of your father. You know, when I look back on kind of some of the fathers already, they'd already messed up. Abraham lied about his wife twice. Isaac lied about his wife. Jacob was a cheater. And look what all those boys of his did, you know, all the trouble they caused. And you got to think sometimes, God, is this the best you've got? You know, look what you're working with. And the answer is yes, because remember, all the perfect people are in heaven. <laughs> the rest of us are broken clay. Come on. And God takes broken, messed up people, and that's who he uses. What a God. What amazing grace this is. I mean, I look at this and I think, God, you're, you're so amazing. Here's the thing. God keeps his promises to fallible men, people who mess up. God still makes promises and says, you know what? I'm going to come through for you, and I am going to use you if you'll just say, Hineni, Lord, use me. Wow. Notice he's the powerful God. In verse 7, it says, I have seen and I have heard. He's not deaf, nor is he uncaring. He understands what his people is going through. He understands what you're going through. He is the saving God. I will rescue them. Notice verse 8. Go back to that. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians, lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is the land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanite, you know, the meat, they're in, if, you know, if you really want to look up a, a study, look up all the names here and what they mean in the Bible. Canaanites, peddlers of humiliation. The Hittites, fear. Amorites, pride. Perizzites, dwellers in unwalled villages. And there's a whole teaching on that. Hivites, open to Im Im anything. Jebusites, their name meant pride also. And there's other passages that says, God says, I'm going to take you amongst them, then I'm going to cut them off from you. Wow. Some of you are like, gosh, why am I having to deal with this? God says, I want you to know how to deal with it. I want you to know how to overcome drugs and alcohol. I want you to know how you can minister to those people. I want you to know how to overcome temptation. And God brings his promises down. He says, I'm going to come down and I'm going to deliver the people of Egypt. Now, I want you to see verse 9. He says, look. The cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. The, this answers the unspoken question, Lord, don't you know what's happening here? Has anybody ever just said, Lord, have you seen the United States lately and what's going on in the United States and what a mess it is? And some people want to run from that. But you know what? 
I, I was just thinking this morning, the Lord, it's like the Lord just planted this. God just speaking to me. He says, I've set you as a prophet amongst the nations. That you're going to speak about righteousness. You're going to speak about justice. You know, that I just felt like the Lord just, just I was kind of praying. I was, I was going to say I was doing my hair, but there's not much to do there. You know, I was just kind of doing whatever I was doing. And God says, you're a prophet right now to a sinful nation. And, and here's a bullet point that I put down is that God sees everything you're all going through. God sees, you know, God's, and it's kind of interesting. God's been working the past 40 years in Moses' life to get him ready. I was just thinking about this. You know, they're going to go back into the Sinai and Moses is going to say, I've already been there. I've done that. You're, you're going to be okay. You know, they don't go into Israel. God sends them down into Sinai for 40 years. And, and you might say 40 years is a long time. I would agree. It is. But God will not move until the time is right and his man is ready. And if it takes 40 years out in the backside of the desert, some of you are praying for your spouses, and if God has to put them on the backside for 40 years till God gets their attention and they serve God, then so be it, God. Bring it on. Lord, whatever you need to do, because we want you, Lord, to be glorified in our midst. And I know I'm speaking to somebody. Now, I want you to go down to verse 10. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Now go. That's all he says. That's it. That's his whole call. And here's his job description. He says, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. Go. For the moment, that's all God's will is for him. Just go. You don't know the details. Just go. Just go, and in the going, God's going to reveal the next steps. And I want you to think of it this way. Moses only has one job description word. It is go. Moses is never told to deliver the people. That's God's job. Moses can't do that. Just go. Just do the next thing. And then when you figure out that, then do the next thing. And then the next thing, and you just do it one step at a time. So we kind of come to the end of this, and we ask the question is, what do we learn from this story? And the first thing is this. Don't be impatient to discover God's call in your life. Anybody ever have a patient problem with you? Anybody sitting next to someone who has a patient problem? <laughs> you know, and, and here's the thing. You can't rush the river of God's purpose in your life. Moses was 80 when God called him. And perhaps a better way to say it is that God spoke to his spirit earlier and gave him a desire to deliver his people, but the time was not right until 40 years later. You know, God put it in his heart. And somebody said God's will is like a sunrise, not a sunburst. It doesn't suddenly appear before us. It's like the sun shining at noonday. And the will of God rises slowly before our eyes. Starting with a few rays here and a few rays there, and they begin to pierce the darkness. And we see that shaft of light. It gets lighter and lighter. And as you keep walking, it's like, okay, 
this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. And finally, you find yourself in a place like, wow, I am so immersed in the will of God. I am right where God wants me to be right now. Some of you think, I just wish that God would hurry up and, you know, Lord, let me get there. And God says, you're right where you need to be right now. Some of you are in the desert right now. You need to be patient. Let God show you that next step that you're supposed to go in. And here's the second thing that I wrote down from my notes is that God knows how to make bushes burn. I like that. In this passage, God only gives two commands. First, he says, take off your shoes. And the second is go. He says, take off your shoes, Moses, because the burning bush is here and you're standing on holy ground. And then he tells him, put them back on because you're going to Pharaoh. Take off your shoes, put them back on. Take off, what do you want, God? Just one thing at a time. Take off your shoes first. People say, I don't know if God can use me. I want you to think again. God uses imperfect people. And he specializes in calling imperfect people. He delights to take Moseses and turn them into somebody's that God can use. Now I want to return just one final time to that burning bush because at the age of 80, he probably thought his greatest days were behind him. And, and I know I'm talking to somebody. I know I'm talking to somebody here right now. You think, oh, my greatest days are behind me. But the burning bush was God's way of saying, you thought you were burned out, but I got big plans for you. Chuck Swindoll uses a unique word to describe what God was doing. He wants men and women who are burnable for him. burnable. He can take a desert shrub bush and turn it into a, a burning flame that will not be consumed. And, and I say, what kind of bush qualifies? Well, if you're willing to burn for God, he can use you. Are you burnable? Are you usable? God, all God needs is a burnable bush. God is looking for men and women who will burn for him. And some of you may think, well, my time has come and gone. And, you know, and I understand that. I've had to wrestle with those own, my own feelings in regards to that. And Well, God is, you know, what do you want me to do? Is you, you still have something for me to do? And I had to wrestle with that again and finally come to the point of like, I have you right where I want you to be. I want you to do what you're called to do. Just take one step at a time. And basically just be saying this, Hineni, God use me. God use me. Hineni. We're going to sing a song. It's called Refiner's Fire. Don't stand unless you really believe with all your heart. You can say, Hineni, today. 
And at some point in this song, if you're, you're, you're hearing this, I want you to stand and I want you to just lift your hands and say, God, Hineni, Hineni in my life. You say, well, you don't know the circumstance of my life. My spouse isn't walking with the Lord. You know, my job, you know, people use all sorts of excuses. God says, I'll just use you right where you are. You'll just say, Hineni, here I am, God, use me. Here I am, God, use me. We're going to sing, and when you feel led to stand and say that with me, then you stand. If you don't stand, it's, it's all right. That's between you and the Lord. But if you want to just say, God, Hineni, you stand with me today, and let's just make this our prayer. Just where you lead us. Take me there, take me there. What you need is just an offering. It's right here, my life is here, not me a living sacrifice for you. Your fire, a refiner. Be consumed. I want to be tried by fire. Purify, take whatever you need. 
I pray that you would go deep into our depths. Deep into our depths, Lord God. Lord, I pray that this sermon would just resonate with us, Lord, all week long. Lord, we want to do Hineni. lift our hands. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance on you and give you peace. Together we ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. if you need prayer, I'll be up here. Elders will be up here, but God bless you. Hineni, Hineni.